Guys, thank you all so much for coming out this morning. and for uh, uh, It shows a willingness in your life that you want something more than what you have. Is that right? Either that or you just really like free breakfast. It's, it's hard to tell at this point. All right, well, um, I want to talk to you today about, uh, about our second C, which is character. If you, um, was anybody not here for the first session you got in after the snow? Anybody? Okay, well, anybody online I might not, not have seen it. Thomas was talking about our three C's. If we were going to do three things right, it was core, character, and craft. And core is who you are. Character is how you live. Um, now, one thing that's interesting about this is there's lots of tests out there that can tell you things about you know, about your life, about your personality. And I took one of those. The very first test I took was called a DISC test. Has anybody taken a DISC test before? And it has two um, kind of scales on it. One is how you are when you're under pressure, which they would consider at work, and how you are in your home life. And there was uh, some very interesting things and then I, I, about that test, and I got, had my wife take it as well. And she actually took the same test, and you know, it was almost always the opposite answer. But when we graphed our scale, we noticed two different things, and both were sort of shocking. Um, one is, is when I did my first score, you're going through and, you know, you're putting the lines where they're supposed to go. Um, and when it was in my pressured times or my relaxed times at home, they were exactly the same thing. There was not a variation of even just one little niche. And my wife's was exactly the same. Hers matched up perfectly too. And they were complete opposites. And we realized we were a perfect match for each other. But what was interesting is we are who we are on or off of pressure or off of um, the eyes of uh, the world. And one of the reasons why I think that that's important for me to realize is that God had called me to help others do the same thing. That not to hide your emotions, but at the same time, not to try to customize them for each situation, but just to be yourself. And that comes from this understanding that Thomas was just talking about of who you are in Christ. And uh, as Thomas mentioned, you know, having fatherly models and having different role models, I got, I got saved later in life. I had great parents, and, um, you know, they, they did get divorced uh, when I was uh, very young. But I had a, a healthy model um, in, in many ways where I had two parents that loved me and, you know, were, were encouraging. But my role models for leadership and for character um, were very consistent. They were very consistently bad. I hung out with a bunch of 80s rock star dropouts touring around the Southeast when I was 15 or 16 years old, playing in bars with, you know, where beer was up to your, up to your knees, uh, literally, you know, in, in these frat houses and things. And the model I saw was depravity all the time, but it was consistent. And one of the things that I learned from those guys is, you know, was that just to be yourself no matter what. Um, I never realized how much that would have to be broken off, but the one part that didn't have to be broken off was just being authentic and just being yourself and not having to put on an act. Whereas I've seen a lot of people who grew up in church and they were taught at a very early age, even though they were being taught to do great things, was to put on an act at church. And then once they got home, they acted totally different. So I had the bad half of it in one sense, but I had the good half in another way. And so what I want to talk to you today is about character and about what that looks like in our life um, when our off-platform life, which we're going to talk about that term in a second, and our on-platform life uh, looks the same. Can we pray real quick? One more time. God, I thank you um, for each person here because it means that we are seeking change in our life, God. And I thank you for um, your Holy Spirit, which is able to do it. Lord, books can't help us. Uh, unless they are empowered by your word, and neither can this, uh, this message I'm going to share today. It can't help us except empowered by your word and by your Holy Spirit, Lord. So we, we depend completely upon you changing us in Jesus' name. Everyone says?
Amen. All right. So I want to talk to you today about the difference between a stage and a platform. Um, I, I don't want to start a coup or anything where if someone says from this structure here, says the word stage, that you're going to go, no, sinner, you said not to say that. Um, this is just a term to help you kind of remember something while you're up here. Uh, as Thomas was talking about in Romans 12, 1, we're talking about our, our act of worship, our spiritual act of worship. We're all familiar with that scripture, right? So here's a question. When you're up here, is it an act of worship or just an act? What's the difference and how can you gauge that? Society is desperate for authentic uh, living or authenticity. The question when we say, is it an act or is it an act of worship? What the question really is, is, is it authentic? How do you know if it's authentic? How do you authenticate something? Well, that's one of the reasons why everybody loves reality TV, because we know that's authentic, right? They don't stage any of it. It's all true. There's nothing fake about reality TV, right? Right. Have you ever seen the behind the scenes of reality TV? Which is kind of ironic when they're, they're practicing it. But do you notice how it really is? They say, can you do that fight scene one more time, Kim? You know, Kim will name nameless for the last uh, part of her name. Uh, people are constantly following celebrities because they want to know what's going on in their life off of the platform. What they're really saying is we want to see something authentic. So for, the, for us here, um, what we're talking about is uh, authenticity that can be measured by what you do when no one is watching. Well, for you guys... I don't know, you know, Chad might have this, we don't, but no one follows us around with cameras all day and, you know, and, and, and does uh, interviews with us constantly and sees what's going on in our personal lives, but God does. And amazingly, the congregation does too. They can tell when something's authentic, and that's kind of what we want to focus on. So you can say, okay, I'm passionate in my worship to God on, on this structure, which we'll rename nameless for now, and, but I want to know if that passion is real. So here's the question about passion. Uh, passion is a result of a relationship with God. It's, it's a natural response to a loving God. People live passionately when God e- uh, infuses them with that. And you, you say, okay, well, I, I want to do that on a platform, but I don't see that in the rest of my life. So really, we're not only talking about authenticity now. We're talking about hypocrisy. We're talking about whether or not you live differently off the platform than you do on the platform. The key to fighting hypocrisy and worship leading is learning to worship in private the same as you do in public. There are times sometimes when we're in the midst of multiple services, which I know you are too, where you're really trying to stay focused on the Lord. You're trying to stay in this, in this moment and in, in, in ministering to the congregation. And you're starting to think about what you want for lunch. You're starting to think about other things throughout the day, and you're trying to stay focused. Or there can be distractions in the congregation, and you want to keep it authentic. Well, one of the ways that that can, um, that that can happen, and we had a gentleman tell us this the other day, um, he says, the way I see you guys is this way, and, I can, and he could tell he was re- basically reading our mail. He said, I can see sometimes when you guys are kind of struggling up there or when you're, you're really pressing through to stay focused. But he says, the way I see it is you guys constantly run to the presence of God all the time, and when you come up on the platform, you're just doing it one more time. You're not doing anything different than what, what I see you doing at home. And this guy's never been to our house, but he can tell it's a well-tread path. When Chad was driving us here, he wasn't asking us for directions to this church. He was driving along, and actually, in the times we've come here now three times, uh, I've never been driven the same, the same path twice, because everybody kind of knows their way around. 
I don't think they're being unauthentic in the way that they get there. And I could tell even if they're thinking about something else or they're, they're trying to sort of get us to the church, they always know this path very well. It's authentic for them that they know the pathway to this church. In the same way, it can be that way in your life with the Lord. The reason why I'm telling you that is that this, is needs, this be, needs to be something that is consistent in your life, something that you're constantly doing. So um, here's your definition for this, this structure here. When we are leading worship, we lead worship from a platform and not a stage. Again, please don't get on anyone's case if they say stage. This is just an understanding. Here's the, the definition that you can sort of uh, uh, ascribe to that. A stage is for performance. A platform is for influence. When you walk onto a stage, you act differently than you normally do. We did a production at our church recently, and I had to correct myself of the vernacular constantly because I kept saying, hey, guys, y'all are going to have a wonderful time ministering on the platform. I mean stage, because you're, are, you are acting differently, and you're calling each other different names than what your real name is, so you're acting. Yes, a stage, you are acting like something that you're not, especially we had a, a part of the show where we had the Phantom of the Opera, and it was probably the least typecast role I've ever seen, the gentlest, nicest guy you've ever met, God-fearing man, and he's playing the part of the Phantom of the Opera, which was a sort of a metaphor for the devil. wasn't too much of a stretch. But... Uh, he was acting. Obviously, that was an unauthentic role for him to play, right? He's not, he doesn't go around with a mask across half of his face. He was acting like something he didn't. But that same gentleman getting up on the platform and leading worship, he's now on a platform. So it's okay to take a stage, to act like something that you're not. But that's in a performance. Worship is not a performance. Worship is a place of influence, to influence others to come into the presence of God. Is that true? Is that right? When you walk onto a platform, you are elevated so others can see your example. Have you ever thought about why we bother to make this thing so high? Or there's even studies of how high it should be, how much of the person should be seen. It's because they want to see your example. Well, how much of your example? Well, really, once you're on a platform, your whole life is an example. Whether you're in the ticket line for the movies, whether you're sitting down to eat at the restaurant locally, whether someone's watching your Facebook page or reading your tweets, it's all a platform for influence, isn't it? Have you been influenced more by what people have done off the platform than by what they've done on the platform? When we talk about someone like Ted Haggard, which has been the, the greater testimony to his life, the hundreds and thousands of messages or what you've seen off the platform? You probably only heard a couple little tidbits of what happened off the platform, but he spoke thousands of times in front of people in some very compelling messages, like Thomas said with great, great skill, but there was no character there to back that. A stage is for a performer who is pretending to be something they are not. A platform is for people recognized as leaders of admirable authenticity in their lives. Um, one very interesting thing about uh, authenticity is how good our society is at not only wanting authenticity so bad, but being willing to accept counterfeits. Has anybody ever bought a counterfeit, um, well, ask the guys. Has any of the guys ever bought a counterfeit purse? I mean, a uh, watch. Um, the counterfeit industry is really amazing when you think about it. I mean, they've even done things where they're making spoof movies or, you know, if you've been to other countries, you'll see a, you'll see a video there and you go, wow, that's kind of interesting. That's Avatar, huh? And it's like a printout. And someone was in the movie theater with a video camera ripping off the original one. Sometimes, I mean, people will go to great extent to get a cheaper version of the real thing. 
That's what we want, right? We want something quicker and easier, but we want the same thing. That's how, why eBay exists. If I can't buy the real thing, I'll buy a counterfeit or I'll buy someone else selling the one that they paid full price for so I can get it. We love this system. We want to get something of high value for a lower price, and we want it quicker. Well, there's a problem with that when we look at it in worship. The counterfeit industry oftentimes will bring in more revenue selling fakes to people. They make more revenue than the original companies did. They can become so good at making fakes that sometimes even experts can be fooled. I'll give you an example of this. Charlie Chaplin um, uh, was entered into a competition. He randomly showed up. You may have heard the story. He showed up for a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest and won third place. <laughs> sometimes you don't know the real thing even when it's sitting in front of you, and you'll accept a fake because it's done so well. So here's how this applies to us. Hollywood spends billions trying to make fiction look like reality. It makes it very difficult when someone stands up with the Bible, which is true, and just simply speaks words. And Hollywood is developing these screens filled with all this imagery you can see, and it looks so real, and you can believe it. And the message is so compelling, and it costs them billions. Some film effects are so good at creating false realities, it's almost impossible to tell. Can you still tell when something was computer-generated in the movies? Like, you know, we used to see, like, Twister, you know, the movie. Was that the name of the movie, Twister? And you could, to- you could see the coordinator, you're like, yeah, that's a computer, that's a computer. The new stuff, I don't know what was real or not. I've seen whole movies where I found out later they were shot with a green screen. And everything in the movie was a fake. And I had no idea. It looked so real. Well, this doesn't just apply to film effects. This applies to everyday life. People are really learning it how to, uh, to um, use counterfeits in their lives and, and find them acceptable and maybe even more desirable. They may become so good. Uh, worship leaders will often fake, t- fake times, uh, worship times because they're tired or burned out. And they may begin to fake worship. And you can say it's for the benefit of the congregation, but really, I, I don't know that that's, uh, that's true. They may become so good at faking worship to get by that even the experts can be fooled, where someone can say, wow, I, I, can, I can really see that, that was, you were giving, giving that everything that you had. There's a lot of effort, in there, and I could tell that you were in the presence of the Lord, and you were actually in the presence of, of P.F. Chang's because that's what was, all that was on your mind was thinking what you were going to have for lunch and you know, if you were going to get brown rice or white rice and... I'm sorry. I thought I was talking to people who serve in a lot of a lot of services. That must just be me. I know y'all have never done that. So let's pick a different restaurant. I'm not throwing any stones here. Believe me. Uh, Chick Fil A or a Wawa coffee. Oh man, that was good this morning. Ah, oh, uh. so here's the thing: if you are not careful, you may find that you can't even tell the difference anymore. When your pastor comes up to you and says, man, today was, there was, I could tell that this must have been a deep time of spiritual uh, preparation for you because this weekend was incredible. And the Lord ministered to them authentically. But for you can, if you stayed up all night playing Halo or whatever, you know, it is the, the way that you prepare for Sunday morning worship, and you realize you faked it through that day, you can say, wow, man, I just got some, something really great off eBay at a low price. I just gave the Lord that which cost me nothing, and it worked. And maybe three, four months later, 
you might say, hey, this is really working for me. This is a lot easier. It didn't cost me anything. God can always tell the difference and demands that our worship is true. That's what John 4.23 says. He says he, he's looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. And even in that time, there were many who came in the name of the Lord, many who even were trying to perform miracles and do things, but it wasn't true, and the people knew the difference. So here's the way you can kind of combat this. First off is realizing that your platform is there for influence. It's whatever you're doing on Monday and Wednesday or whatever that you are doing this. First of all, you're doing it to represent your family. You're representing your church and you're representing your God and not in that order. Whether you are alone by yourself in a hotel room somewhere on a trip or out of town um, for work or whatever the case may be, whether you're whoever it is that you may live with or have, have fellowship with isn't there and you're, you're by yourself, you are still on this platform. If you've been given this place to influence a church, you're not always on display where everything can be scrutinized, but your entire life has been raised up so your entire life is an influence to others. Can you see that now? It's not a stage. We don't walk on here and flip a light switch. I've heard a worship leader say that. Say, I get on there and I flip on the worship light switch. I said, man, I want to take the light switch off and hardwire it. I just want to leave it on all the time. I'm not saying that you get to a place where you can't ever let your guard down. How about this? How about not needing to let your guard down? Just being authentic. Just being who God made you to be. Understanding first, there's a reason why we say core, character, and craft. You don't go to music school, then get your first opportunity where you go and you live out some job where you got to be nice to people. And then after you're done with all that, learn who you are. You learn who you are, start to live that out, and then begin to serve. If for any reason, like me, you were put in a position, I was given my first worship leading opportunity when I had no clue what was going on. We were talking to someone who said they just led worship for the first time at, you know, a year or two ago. The first time I led worship, I called up the, the worship pastor at the church where I was going. I had never played a Christian song in my life. I came out of the club scene and got radically saved. And I picked, uh, I remember it was, um, we worshiped the Lamb of Glory and Shout to the Lord. And I was leading worship for the graduating class of this, this small church. And it was basically this, the senior pastor and a couple of his family and friends and a couple other families, all great believers. And I was in the middle of Shout to the Lord, and I started singing the chorus to uh, uh, we will worship the Lamb of Glory, you know. Uh, you know. Mountains bow down over the sound of your name. With our hands lifted high, we will worship. And, like, and everyone just looked really confused like it was a medley. And, you know, I, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I, not, I was even struggling in the craft area. But more than not having a clue what I was doing about leading worship, I didn't have a clue about who I was. I didn't have a clue about how I was supposed to live. I just knew that God was great, and I was all in whatever he wanted me to do. So when someone called, if you've been placed in that situation, run as quickly as you can to go find out who, who, in who your identity is, who God made you to be. And if you need to take time to step off the platform to make sure that it's consistent so that when you are on the platform, the influence is consistent with the rest of your life, then do it. It's worth it. It's totally worth it. And you don't need to be ashamed about it. You can just simply say, hey, I need some time. You know, or at the same time, if this is just a challenge for you to say, you know what, I think I have been faking it. Not, not just that you've been tired or that you know, thoughts have gone through your mind, nothing like that. But, I mean, legitimately, you're getting to where you can't tell the difference anymore. 
We need to look at who our identity is in, who God made us to be, and let's just be that 24-7. Let's take off the switch and let's just hardwire it until that's just infused into our life. Is that, is that okay? All right? Um, all right, well, I don't, what, what, what's, our, what's our time? We, we kind of shifted our, our times around. What's our next one, Chad? Okay, okay. All right. So we, uh, we worship from a platform, not a, not a stage. So our next thing is this is kind of part of our, our culture at our church, and we hope that this is a, something that just is a, a worship culture thing and not just a gateway uh, worship culture thing. The next thing is, is that uh, we place our relationship with others above our projects. And you may say, okay, well, I'm not really a projects person. Um, you know, I, I, uh, maybe you're uh, a stay-at-home mom or you, you, know, you, you, you don't do many, you know, many things that you would call a project. Well, I'll tell you this. As a project person, as one of those types of personalities, anything could be a project. Or, you know, ordering coffee at Wawa is a project. I have a goal. I have, you know, a, a thing. I want to get this perfect cup of coffee. I want to get it for, you know, everything's a project. So I'll give you an example of uh, when this goes wrong. It's a little little joke. I won't use any Pennsylvania wife jokes. We'll make it a Texas wife joke, okay? Even though I know it would apply, and I'm sure I'd get a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, hearty amens. But uh, So there were three guys who were talking and saying, you know what? We have some projects around the house. We want our house clean. We want our dinner served on time, and we want to be able to sit there and watch TV. And uh, they said, well, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to tell our wives this is what we need to do. So the first guy went to his wife. And she was a nice, you know, a nice Pennsylvania girl. And he said to her, said, honey, I want you to clean the house. And when I get home, I want food ready and I want you to let me watch TV. And he said, you know, the first day, nothing really happened. And he kept getting on her and getting on her. And, you know, she was a sweet Pennsylvania girl, very soft-willed, right? That's what we have around here, right? Okay, just checking. And, uh, and the second day, he didn't see much, much improvement. Third day, the house was clean. And then finally, after about a week or so, it started to happen. He came home and the house was clean. Second guy was uh, from my hometown, New Orleans, and, you know, the wife put up a little fight and a little arguing, you know, a little back and forth through a few things. And then finally, the second day, third day, started cleaning things up and started preparing, uh, preparing food, and the project went well, and everything was fine. And the guy got to come home into his clean house with his nice meal and watch TV. So the third guy was from Texas, Dallas to be specific. And so he looked at his wife, and he said, Honey, I want you to clean the house. This, this is the project I've got for you. I want you to serve me dinner, and I want you to let me watch TV when I get home. So he said the first day, he really didn't see any difference. Second day, really not much. Third day, the swelling in his eyes started to go down, and then he finally said, okay, honey, you're right. I'll, I'll, you can just do whatever you want. <laughs> the moral of this story, silly story, is that when you put projects over people, someone's going to get hurt. When you place a project over your relationship with a person, Someone's going to get hurt. And when we talk about our character, and especially with worship team members, sometimes that project of worship can be so overbearing. I consider worship, and one of the reasons why is because we do worship projects all the time. We have a project to train new people. We have a project to make a record. We have a project to do, you know, a show. Everything's a project to me. I have a project list a mile long. So for me, I'm very susceptible to it. But worship is not a project. These are people up here. And I was just with our, our worship team last week and leading some of them I hadn't seen in a while. We were mentioning to the team last night, we never have the same team up twice. Sometimes we can go six months without seeing someone because of the quantity of people who are involved now. 
and we just had some time catching up on life. I love those people. They are not sheep there that I'm trying to get wool off of so that I can make something to, to be able to present to the congregation. These are my friends. These are the people that I love, and I want to have a relationship with them. So I just want to encourage you, no different than the difference between a stage and a platform, that these people, your relationship with them is more important than the project that you're working on. That you look at that person and you say, that's not my guitar player who's going to do something for me, or that's not my drummer that I have to lock with, or that's that keyboard player who keeps messing up. That's a person. They're not a project. They're not a position. They're a person. There's a relationship there with them. Uh, Final example for that, uh, I'll turn it over to Thomas. Um, I was on a flight. This was back when we had brick-sized cell phones and things like that, and I think it was even second-hand brick cell phones. They were like quite the big deal. Um, and you couldn't go online and see your flights or anything. I booked a flight to Seattle, and uh, I was wondering why it was so cheap when I was talking to the lady on the phone, and I found out when I got on the plane because, you know, there's the seats in the back, and there's the, you know, they go further, further after the windows stop, and then there's the two seats when it's, this was a four-seat-sided plane, there's the two seats right next to the bathroom, right next to the engine at the very back of the plane. And I got the one that was on the innermost where you're, you're locked in. Here's the wall. There's the engines, incredibly loud. And there's the bathroom door, and there's one person. And sure enough, the guy comes down there, the old, smelly guy. And you go, wow, this is going to be a long flight. And he sat down next to me, and I remember thinking, and I, I wasn't a believer at the time, thinking, I, I, I don't know if I can make it through this between the smell and the engine sound. And it turns out he was this kind of well-known dentist who would go around and do dental conferences. And he told me a story I'll never forget that I hope you'll always remember this. Uh, He said he went to a conference in France where there was this guy who had done all sorts of innovative um, breakthroughs for the dental industry. And he said in everyone, they'd never heard him speak before. He was a guy who kind of like invented some of the modern techniques they use. And everyone had pretty much come to hear this guy speak. He was the final keynote speaker. And so he got a thunderous applause as he came up and everyone... The room kind of fell silent because he didn't say much at all uh, at first. He just was sort of standing there. And he said, I'll never forget. He stood up and he said, with his, I think it was a German accent or something like that, he said, gentlemen, never forget there is a person attached to the tooth you are working on. And he walked off the stage. He says, every person he's ever talked to who's been, who went to that conference has never forgotten it. I want to tell you, never forget there is a person attached to that instrument that you're working on. We have to place our relationships with others over the project we're working on. And that's one of the most telltale signs of walking out your faith in Christ with good character, is loving people for who they are. And the way you get to that place is first knowing who you are in Christ, in your core, and then you can walk out in character. Is that good? Okay, all right. Thomas? Okay, so, uh, and I just want to say, Walker lives with that.